And welcome, everyone, to the Department 12 podcast. I'm your host, as always, Dr. Ben Butina. I am joined today by Ali Saliolu. How are you today, Ali? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing just fine. So you joined us today because you are planning to start a podcast. Is that right? Yes, I am. All right. So why don't you start with a little bit of background? Um, what is the podcast about? Who do you, who's the audience uh, that you see for this? So I'm the communications chair for IOPSA, which stands for the Industrial Organizational Student Psychology Association. And uh, basically, it's for the current students and professors to listen to. And what I really want to do is I want to kind of put IOPSA on the map. And I also realized that uh, IO podcasts are high in demand. You know, you don't see too many out there. You know, there's your podcast, Department 12, which I'm a big fan of. There's Work Life by Adam Grant and other, you know, economic-based podcasts that are related to IO, but there's really not too many IO podcasts out there. So I really want to... Uh, put IOPS on the map, talk about IO, get the students and professors engaged. And I'm hoping uh, that that can happen this semester. Okay. And uh, just to clarify for the audience, you're at Hofstra University now, right? Yes. Okay. And you are in a uh, master's program in IO site, correct? That is correct. Okay. So when you talk about putting, uh, putting that on the map, do you mean that you want this organization to be well known outside of the Hofstra community? Yeah. So I want Hofstra to be known in the IO master world because uh, Hofstra is a reputable and known school, but I feel like there's still a lot of confusion about what IO is. Mm -hmm. So I really wanted to get it out there for the public. Okay. So the reason that uh, I invited Ali onto the show is because I get requests like this fairly frequently from people who want to start a podcast and they just want some advice on, you know, how do you get started? Because although there's a lot of podcasts out there, it's also kind of hard to know, uh, you know, how to get started, where to host, what kind of equipment to use, that kind of thing. And so I figured, hey, let's just talk about this on the air. And that way, if other people have the same kind of questions, Hopefully I can help them and hopefully also we can help uh, create more IO psych podcasts because I think that's desperately needed out there. There needs to be more voices. So I'm excited to hear you uh, say, Ali, that you're, you're trying to put this program on the map and you're trying to expand people's knowledge of what IO psychology is. And I think that that is the first step that I'd recommend to anyone considering a podcast, which is to nail down who your audience is and what you want to communicate to them. Uh, if you listen to very early episodes of this show, you'll see me kind of floundering with that. I couldn't decide whether my audience was uh, ordinary business people who I wanted to communicate IO ideas to or IO people or what the heck it was. And eventually I found my feet, but I left those old episodes up because I hope you know, maybe uh, people could learn from my mistakes. So it sounds like so far, you know, you want to put IO and uh, your particular program on the map. You want to help people understand what IO is. So your audience is um, undergraduate students, um, people who may be considering a career change. Uh, can you help sort of flesh that out a little bit more? Yeah. So for undergraduate students who 
might be interested in joining a graduate program in I.O. Uh, for current and former graduate students, not just at Hofstra, but just all across the country who are interested in I.O., for professors or experts of the field just to tune in and, and hear more about what's going on in the I.O. world, and also just people who really may, maybe just stumble upon the podcast and never heard of I.O. before and they end up liking it. So I think that'd be a, a great way to get I.O. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the map and to expand the knowledge of industrial organizational psychology. Okay. All right. So I will uh, say a couple of things here, uh, take them for whatever they're worth. Uh, but one is there are literally hundreds of thousands now uh, podcasts. So the possibility of somebody just stumbling across a podcast for a topic that they're not interested in that they weren't looking for is pretty low. Um, you know, with the exception of they see a link to it from you know, a friend who was a guest on the show or you know, they stumble across it in their social media life. But the idea of just putting something out there and hoping people stumbling into it, that's probably not going to work. Um, the second thing I would share with you is you've got a big, broad audience topic there. So something to think about is either narrowing it down and, and building the show to meet the needs of a particular sort of niche of that audience. Or um, I guess the other alternative is to, to really keep in mind all the different audiences as you record episodes. Because if you think about like, let's say an undergraduate in a business or a psych program versus a professor who's maybe been teaching this for 20 years, they're what they want from a show, the kind of language that they use, uh, maybe the length, that's going to be so different. And a given episode might be hugely interesting to that professor and totally boring to the student or hugely interesting to the student, totally boring to the professor. So I don't need you to figure that out with me on the air, but just something I'd, I'd ask you to think about. So let's start with some other questions that you have about podcasting in general. What else do you need to know to get started? Uh, just, I guess, starting off on the technical side, uh, what type of equipment should be included in a podcast? Sure. Well, let me ask a clarifying question. Is the intent of the show to be a single voice or is it to be like an interview type show? Uh, the plan is to be more of an interview type show. Mm-hmm. Okay, that helps. And do you foresee the interviews being in person or at a distance the way we're doing this today? Well, given the current climate and being not so sure about whether... Yeah the semester will be in person or not. I think that this type of format uh, sure. is probably the best bet as of now, but hopefully down the road, I'm looking to get into in person as well. Okay. Um, so let's start out with the assumption that it's going to be mostly at a distance. And if you're listening to this show, uh, you know, years or, or months into the future, and you're wondering what the hell we're talking about, uh, we're right now uh, in the midst of the, the COVID-19 pandemic. So there's not a lot of face-to-face interviewing happening right now. So we kind of want to gear this around uh, sort of distance uh, and that does expand your options quite a bit. So we'll start with that. So one of one piece of equipment that I'm going to recommend that you drop a little bit of money on, doesn't have to be a huge amount, but you want a good microphone. Uh, what I recommend is a microphone called the Blue Yeti. Uh, the, the company name is Blue. The model name is Yeti, Y-E-T-I. They're around a hundred bucks. Uh, if you check for them on sale, you might be able to get them a little bit cheaper. 
Um, the reason is that no matter how good your software is, um, no matter how good your, you know, your podcast editing audio software is, you're probably not going to be able to improve much on the quality of the audio uh, if, if the microphone stinks. And a common error that I see is people starting with, you know, a laptop microphone or maybe their mobile phone, which is they're getting a little better. Uh, but really, the, the quality of the audio is pretty important to people. So uh, the Blue Yeti or a similar uh, microphone, I'd recommend. Another piece of equipment I'd recommend, and unfortunately, I'm not using it right now because I'm set up in a weird part of my house. It's called a pop filter. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, I have. Okay. So for the sake of the audience, a, a pop filter is basically just a small round screen that you place in front of the microphone. And what it protects uh, the microphone from is direct hits from uh, plosives. And you can hear the plosives coming out right now as I'm talking. Peter Piper picked a, a patch of pickled peppers. Uh, when you pronounce that hard P sound, um, it, it blows air out of your mouth and it hits directly into the diaphragm of that microphone. And that's why you get that nasty P sound. So a pop filter uh, will protect you from that. Um, another couple of pieces of equipment to consider is a, a microphone mounting arm. Uh, and you can usually get these, uh, I would say, probably 20, 30 bucks off of Amazon. Just allows you to mount that microphone in a place that makes sense for you. Right now, I have this mounted on uh, a dresser, actually, so that I can record this standing up. I think that helps my recording a little bit if I'm not sitting down and folded over in my chair. And uh, another piece of equipment that I would recommend is a shock mount. Do you know what a shock mount is? Yes, I've heard of a shock mount as well. Okay. Well, can you explain to the audience what it is? Uh, if I'm not mistaken, isn't it basically uh, like, oh, wait, I'm thinking of a pop filter, actually. Oh, okay. Well, so a shock mount is basically just a, um, when you have a microphone that's just sitting on a table or on a surface or something like that, it tends to pick up every sound in the background. Uh, anytime anything in your your house or your dorm or wherever you're recording moves, it picks up that sound. What a shock mount does is it allows the microphone to uh, sort of like almost like the shocks on a car. Uh, you mount the microphone on it and it allows the microphone to, to move a little bit without picking up the sound uh, around it. Uh, so it's a little like a little flexible kind of round thing that the microphone sits on. So a shock mount I recommend and a decent set of headphones. I don't think you need to go crazy with that. A $40, $50 set of headphones, probably fine. Um, other equipment uh, has less to do, and I do apologize for all those plosive peas that I'm shooting into the microphone right now. Uh, other piece of equipment is, is less about like the physical equipment and more about the software. So I'm using a system right now to record this, which, which you know, Ali, called Zencaster. Uh, and what that allows me to do is you're, you're connecting in from, from wherever you're at. I'm connecting in from wherever I'm at. Zencaster is a piece of software that takes my recording and your recording. It merges them together. And uh, it also does some, some noise removal and things like that. Uh, but the reason that's important versus going for you know, recording a Skype call or other ways of doing it is because uh, recording Skype calls is notoriously unreliable and it really stinks when you have a guest on and your connection craps out halfway through. Um, Zencaster isn't the only option out there. It's just the one that I found most reliable. And when I say most reliable, I mean that like maybe nine times out of 10, there's no problems at all. The 10th time out of 10, it breaks your heart, but 
I haven't found a better alternative yet. Yeah, I've okay. actually never heard of Zencaster before, so this is uh, new to me as well, but I like it so far. It's working great. Yeah. I mean, a big part of what it does is that it's just syncing up the voices. So if I were recording this on two separate tracks and, and trying to edit edit it together later, uh, I could easily do that, um, but it would just be time-consuming and, and kind of picky, so I want to save myself a little time from doing that. Uh, what other questions do you have? Oh. Is there any type of software that you recommend for editing purposes? Sure. So um, there's kind of two ways to go about this. Um, one is cheap is free, and the other is I've got a budget. So which one best describes you? Uh, at the moment, cheap is free. <laughs> okay. So uh, I'd recommend software called Audacity, um, which is free audio editing software. Uh, and it's free. It does not mean that it's junk. It's actually very good. And very many of the top podcasts that people listen to are edited on Audacity. Uh, so there's a learning curve there uh, to learn how to edit audio correctly. However, you can learn almost anything that you need to know about Audacity just looking up YouTube videos. Uh, for the, anybody in the audience who has a budget, I'd recommend uh, another piece of software called Adobe Audition. Um, and it is more capable than Audacity but it's also a lot more expensive. A uh, couple of points I'll make on editing is uh, sometimes new hosts and even guests get a little paranoid about their ums and their ahs and their uh, you know verbal tics and things like that. For the most part, the audience doesn't care because they're not listening to that nearly as much as we imagine they are. Um, there's another one of my ums. It sounds like a real person when you do that. And that's mostly why people listen to a show like this, not for a, a perfectly polished kind of presentation. Editing gets easier as you get more uh, time doing it. And you'll also find that as you develop more skills as a host, you can guide the conversation in ways that you don't need to do as much editing. What other questions do you have? Uh, where are some places that a podcast can be featured or published? So when you say places, do you mean like a host or uh, where they can be sort of publicized? Uh, both pretty much. Just where where okay. can they be placed? Mm -hmm. So like, like a host site where, you know, the sure. audience can listen to and also maybe some type of a social media sites that they can be advertised on. Sure. Uh, so the host that I recommend right now, and I've been through a few of them over the years, uh, the host that I uh, recommend is a company called Pinecast, P-I-N-E-C-A-S-T. And the reason I recommend them is that they are easy to use, pretty inexpensive. I think you're looking at maybe five bucks a month, maybe 10 bucks a month if it's really big or you want multiple shows. Uh, and for the kind of audience that you're describing, it's going to be more than sufficient. Um, really like shows that have hundreds of thousands of downloads per episode might be, you know, might want to spend more and go to a different company. Pinecast is really, uh, I think pretty good. Pinecast will also, if you don't have a separate website for your show, will also create one for you, kind of an automatically created site. So if you're not going to build up like a, a blog or a bunch of other things on the website, 
uh, as sort of a around the show the way I have, if it's really just going to be a place for people to go to listen to the show, then Pinecast will take care of that for you. If you want to create your own page um, and and have the podcast just be a part of that, because you also have articles and other media, uh, then you'd probably want to you know go to a a, a web hosting company like SiteGround uh, or someone like that and create something in WordPress or a similar content management system. But I think that's a a whole other show probably. <laughs> um, as far as ways that you can publicize it. Definitely getting on social media in as many channels as you can um, for a show like what you've described. Uh, obviously, I think Twitter, uh, Instagram, um, possibly LinkedIn. You know, it's a little more work oriented. So LinkedIn has some some folks out there that might be looking out for that. And I don't have a a page or a company page for my show on LinkedIn at this point in time, because it seems like more effort than it's worth. But I will say that the response when I just share links to episodes out on LinkedIn has been pretty good. But again, it kind of comes back to nailing down who your audience niche is and where they hang out. Right. Uh, yeah. Like professors, for example, for the most part, aren't hanging out on LinkedIn. Uh, some of them do and, and maybe more in IO than other fields, but uh, you're generally not running into too many of them out there. Uh, Younger students generally aren't going to be on Facebook as much as they're going to be on Twitter and other places, but you're probably better in tune to that than I am. Yeah. What do you think of YouTube? Have you put any of your podcasts on YouTube by any chance? I have not. Uh, I know that there are shows that do that. I think it's a perfectly uh, fine way to go about it. Um, I guess the disadvantage I would see with YouTube is that you know, a lot of people that listen to podcasts, listen to a lot of podcasts. And so they want something on their podcast aggregator app, uh, that they can subscribe to. And you usually can't do that with a YouTube channel. Uh, so still going through the Pinecast or something like that to host the audio of the show makes sense. If you're really trying to drive costs down though, it'd be hard to beat YouTube or SoundCloud just because you can create audio files, put them up there for free. Um, and if you, see your audience as being fairly small that might be just fine so uh what are the differences because we're doing like an audio podcast right now but i've seen podcasts that also do uh, video with audio so are there any major differences between the two uh well yeah i mean in terms of equipment um mostly what you see with the video enabled uh podcasts is People using the the webcam that's built into their laptop or, or whatever they're using, or maybe their uh, camera on their phone. Um, but you're into you're into a level of making sure you get your lighting, your background's not distracting, um, and that kind of thing. The reason I haven't done that, frankly, on my show is just that I don't know that watching me talk into a microphone adds a whole lot of value to the show. Um, I, I know that that's exactly what you know, the Joe Rogans of the world do, uh, but I don't think I'm as compelling a, a figure as he is. Uh, and asking my guests who would might otherwise be comfortable engaging in audio uh, to make sure they're presentable and, and working with their cameras seems like there's probably some guests I wouldn't have if, if it was a video uh, base. Let's just put it that way. Um, but, you know, if you want to get very sophisticated with it and you want to add more visuals in, there's always a possibility of doing that with specialty editing software. Um, yeah, so 
I, I guess give that a think. And, and if you go that route, then YouTube probably makes more sense than a podcast aggregator. Most of them will handle video, but most people who are listening to a strict podcast are doing that while they're at the gym or they're on their commute. Uh, they're not looking at a video while they're doing it. So, Right. That makes a lot of sense. And uh, have you ever used Zoom at all for recording any audio or video? Not just for podcasts, but maybe just in general. Have you ever tried using Zoom? And Because uh, I heard that they actually you can take audio and video bits from Zoom, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken, and edit it. Yeah, I'm sure that you can. Uh, to answer your question directly, no, I haven't. Um, the reason that I haven't considered that is one, um, you know, before Zoom was the behemoth that it is now, I was already using Zencaster or a similar service and I didn't feel the need. Uh, two is anytime there's a web conferencing software like Zoom, it's compressing the audio quite a bit. Uh, so that's a little hard to explain, a little easier to understand. So anyone that's listening to this show right now is hearing my voice in, in a fairly realistic uh, way because it's picking up the full range of frequencies and broadcasting that. They're probably hearing your voice a little less clearly. It's going to sound a little more like it's coming from a telephone because your microphone probably isn't as good. Uh, Zencaster might be compressing the audio a little bit. Zoom does that even more because it's a platform designed to host many, many, many people connected to the same, uh, through the same fire hose, so to speak. So it's compressing all of that audio down to the smallest possible file format. And you lose a lot of realism uh, and a lot of like, uh, it's going to sound a little cheesy, but kind of the intimacy of it. Uh, When I'm talking and I move a little closer to the microphone, you know, it conveys a sense of presence in a way that you can't get when you have that really compressed audio. Right. And I, I think people are kind of sick of zoom anyways. I'm zoom, I'm zoom fatigued for sure. So I'm not complaining about that. (laughs) But another question I had in your opinion, how long should a podcast episode be on average? Yeah. So it really goes back to that initial scoping question that I asked at the beginning of the show, which is who's your audience and, and what's your message? I found for my show, um, we're, right now in this episode, probably outside of what I normally record, only someone who really cares about starting a podcast has even gotten this far with us. Everybody else has probably dropped off in the first five minutes or so because they just discovered that this, this wasn't for them. Um, imagine for a moment that you've got an episode about what is IO psychology and you are an undergraduate student who's thinking about what am I going to do for graduate school or am I going to go to graduate school? That being the case, like they probably want as much content as you could possibly give them. You know, they'll probably listen for an hour, hour and a half if you had something like that. Meanwhile, that professor that you're also trying to reach, he or she wants to listen to that for maybe a maximum of 10 minutes. Like (laughs) this is their life every day. Uh, They don't want, you know, they'd rather go listen to, you know, uh, some other podcasts on a topic other than IO psychology with all of that time. So I did another reason that I'd encourage you to kind of nail down your audience. Um, as far as just general um, advice on length of episodes, um, I'd say it really depends on what you're trying to communicate, who your guest is. Um, I don't really have a good rule of thumb, I guess. I can only tell you what works for my show, which is 
I've got a lot of people who are IO psych nerds who listen to this and they live and breathe IO stuff every day. So it's kind of cool for them to listen to a podcast, but they don't necessarily want to listen to it for longer than say 15 or 20 minutes. And that's just based on, you know, the metrics that I see. Right. So it pretty much can vary depending on the audience is basically what you're saying. And also maybe on the content that you're delivering. Yeah, that's a much more concise way of saying what I just said. (laughs) (laughs) And that kind of brings me to my next point. How often should a new episode be published? Is it like a weekly thing for you, a monthly thing, or does it just depend? That's everyone's favorite answer for IO. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll say, you know, I probably average about a new episode a month and that's driven more by my work and family schedule than, you know, my desire to make episodes. I would say for a new show, uh, whether it's weekly or monthly, um, the important thing is to have a regular recording and release schedule. I mentioned earlier that there are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there. 90% of them make one or two shows and then never release another one again. And when people see that, when they're searching for podcasts and they see that it hasn't been updated in, you know, the last month or the last year or whatever, they just keep scrolling because nobody wants to listen to one of these, you know, call them like orphan shows, uh, where it's, you know, maybe every six months I'll get around to recording something, but, uh, I don't care enough about the audience to do it more. So if you want to build up uh, a dedicated audience, a regular release schedule, whether that's weekly, bi-weekly, or monthly is what I'd recommend. And make sure that you let them know, hey, expect that, you know, this is, uh, th- there's going to be another episode in a couple of weeks or another one in a month or so, so they don't just remove you from their, from their pod list. Another question I had was, uh, and this is interesting because your podcast name is Department 12, which I think is really creative, but then there's other podcasts where just, like the Joe Schmo show. So how important really is a podcast name? Like it, should you get creative with it or should it just be like the IOPS of podcast, something simple? So here's the thing. You're talking about the IOPS of podcast. And as you use that term with me, I'm just taking a wild guess as to what the abbreviation actually is I O P S E A I O P S A. Like if I wanted to look that up on iTunes or wherever I find my podcast, I'd have a hard time doing that. And you want to make it as easy as you possibly can. So short answer. Yes. A creative name is important. Department 12, um, is a name that I picked because I can kind of own department 12 and do with it as I wish. And it's easy to remember. And if you hear department 12, you're going to remember to look it up. And if you don't, the subtitle is an IO psych podcast. So if anybody searches for IO psych, it's going to show up probably at the top, uh, using the, the abbreviation for your organization is great for the people who are already in your organization or know much, know a lot about it. Uh, no one else is going to remember that to be blunt. So finding a name that is like, I don't know, something memorable like, you know, work psychology or, or what the hell is IO psychology? You know, something that, that if you had a conversation with someone and you told them about your podcast, they'd actually be able to remember the name of it five minutes later when they looked at their phone. Yeah. And just, just for all the listeners, I, I definitely don't want to make it. I a podcast. I think that's pretty boring. So I'm hoping to make it something more creative, but only time will tell what that would be. Yeah. You know, it's either going to be, you know, the way I've found that 
a good name works and just looking at the, the shows that are most popular is it's either very creative uh, and everybody can remember it or it's a word or a, almost like a brand that you can own. Serial uh, is a good example. It's the most popular podcast in, in the history of podcasting as far as I know, S-E-R-I-A-L, and they own that word. I, I know why they picked it. It makes sense, but they own that word and they own that brand now. There's nothing particularly catchy or clever about it, uh, but it's really, really successful. Um, another hugely popular show is you know, the Joe Rogan podcast. That's a pretty boring name, but it's also Joe Rogan. So it really doesn't matter whether it's boring or not. People know who he is. People know his name and they'll look it up. Um, building that up without some kind of celebrity status, I think is a, a lot more difficult. Yes, I definitely agree with that. And just another question I had was, uh, what are some, some places, what are some of the best places that uh, you can record uh, like physically? Yeah, physically. Oh, really good question. So generally you want a room that is the quietest room in your house um, and that it has the least amount of echo. And unfortunately, the only way you're going to figure that out is by dragging that microphone and your laptop or whatever you're recording on into every room and running some tests. So um, right now uh, I'm I'm living a little bit dangerously because my microphone's near a window. And if a motorcycle drives by my house, everybody's going to hear it. Uh, I don't have, I don't have better options right now with COVID-19. The place I usually record is full of people right now. Um, but generally you want a, a room that's not going to have a lot of echo. It's not going to have a lot of exterior noise. A little bit of that people will forgive. Uh, no one expects like uh, radio quality perfection, but it definitely try that out. I have one episode that I'm really proud of the content, but the audio quality really stinks. Uh, it's about a guy who uh, goes to live on an ashram and it's a fascinating story, but I recorded it on my porch of all things. So it's got like everything that's happening in my neighborhood in the background. Uh, so check out different rooms of your house. Um, most people find that a bedroom uh, is more uh, suited for recording. In addition to getting the best acoustics, you also need a place where you actually feel comfortable enough to spend a bunch of time. Um, if you can mount your microphone in a way that allows you to stand while you record, I found that that's pretty helpful. You get a better quality delivery that way. Yeah, I actually have the AC on in my room, so I'm hoping that it's not making too much noise right now. But once you know, I get better equipment, I'm hoping, and a place to record, I'm hoping that the audio quality will be much better. Yeah. But, so where I'm at now, I turned off the fans. There's no AC on. Um, there is, you know, software in, in Audacity, for example. You can do noise removal, so it removes some of that stuff from the background. But as a good rule of thumb, you want the quality of the audio going in to be as good as you can get it. Because the more of that playing around you have to do, one, it obviously adds time. Two, anytime you have to re remove something from a recording, it's also going to remove some of the frequencies that you wanted to keep. So some frequencies of your voice are going to get pulled out while they pull out the air conditioning, if that makes sense. So more on kind of the marketing side of things, how important are podcast trailers, for example, or like a theme song, an intro song, maybe a logo? How does that play a, a part? Sure. Uh, I, I think a logo and a show image is important for every show. So 
the best way I can tell you to think about this is to go and look at your favorite shows and see what that image looks like. It's almost like a, your album cover. What a lot of new shows do that they make a mistake of not having the text in, in large enough uh, font size to be able to see it on a small screen. You have to put yourself in the position of somebody looking at, you know, a, a podcast app on a, an iPhone or an Android and they need to be able to look at that square, whatever size it's rendered as, and be able to tell instantly that that's your show. You know, serial, you can tell right away. My show, hopefully you can tell right away. Uh, it's the one with the weird black and white guy and it's got, you know, the words large enough to read on it. A lot of shows, they just pick some, you know, strange image or, um, you know, a picture of the host or a picture of a, a microphone or headphones. I never understood that. Like, yeah, obviously it's a podcast, so we don't need you to tell us that there's a microphone and headphones involved. Um, you know, you want to pick something that you can really see, uh, and instantly know that, Hey, this is my show. And that should serve also as the basis for your logo, for your social media accounts so that you're reinforcing those images. So, you know, my account for, you know, Twitter, which is where I primarily promote shows, it looks like the cover image of the show so that it's reinforcing that in the mind of the listener who might be listening to a dozen or more shows. Um, and I can't expect them to, to, to want to know about like a whole art catalog of different things I'm interested in. Um, as far as trailers go, I've had mixed success with them. Ultimately, um, I haven't found for, for my show that it's worth putting a lot of effort into that, uh, simply because it's a niche audience. Um, the people who listen, listen very regularly. So it's not a huge audience, but it's a very loyal and dedicated audience. So I don't need to tease them and say, oh, listen to this. It's going to be a super interesting episode. Mostly they're listening to all the episodes. Uh, but I don't know that that's the case for everybody. Um, I'm trying to think of. Yeah. Did that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. That was uh, that was very thorough. Thank you. I guess one more question I had was do you have any just tips or advice on how to keep the listeners entertained and engaged like do you do any anything special for some podcast to really mm -hmm. bring in the listeners yeah so every once in a while i'll do a show that's like um it's really just me sharing some links uh, that i think are useful and so i'll usually build a theme around that so it'll be around halloween so i'll have like you know cheesy Halloween, uh, sound effects or, 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 uh, music in the background, uh, something like that on the whole. Um, I have found that putting in, uh, entrance music, exit music, transition music, uh, my audience just doesn't want that. It's just not that kind of show, uh, where they feel like they need to be entertained in that way. The main value that they get from my show is listening to smart people talk and i'm talking about the guests not me uh, <laughs> as a host you got to leave behind this idea that you're a smart person you've got to be able to play dumb convincingly so that the other person that you're talking to your guest has that stage to be smart uh, and talk about what they're really good at uh, so that's another tip but mostly what people listen to my show for is hey the guest has something interesting to say it's about io psych and i'm interested in io psych anything that detracts from that uh music at the beginning or the end breaking up signposting, which is when you say coming up next, we're going to talk about these three things. I've just found that those are great for general interest shows where you're trying to capture hundreds of thousands of people. 
uh, a niche audience doesn't care about that. Um, they just want to hear the content and they don't need you to hold their hand very much. So it really depends on who your audience is again and what kind of show you're trying to reach. But putting in the time, I think, to create something fun like my little Halloween episodes, you know, you'll develop some real audio editing skills in doing that. And that's not something that is so naturally interesting that it doesn't need a little livening up. Like me just talking about, hey, here's three links to listen to is not a very good show. But adding a little bit of show business in there and, and having some fun with it can help. Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of it's also just trial and error, right? You know, you kind of learn, you, you experience uh, some mistakes, and then you try to fix it. You see what the listeners might want, get feedback, and then you kind of go from there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you, you you need to ask for that feedback because for every hundred people that will listen to an episode, maybe one of them will bother to give you any feedback on it. And I'm not even talking about like star ratings or reviews or anything on iTunes, but even just to send you an email or reach out to you on social media and say, yeah, that was good. Or here's what I think you can do better. So you need to ask them like, Hey, especially at the beginning, Hey, what do you like? What can I be doing better? And, and taking that uh, advice on board. Yeah. So that's, that's pretty much all the questions I have on my end. Uh, I thought that it was extremely informative. I learned a lot, so I definitely appreciate you know your your input and recommendations. No problem. I'll I'll leave you with a couple more tips that you didn't ask for, but I'll just throw them at you anyway. Um, <laughs> because uh, you're talking, you're going to end up talking to probably a lot of academics, and interviewing them is a special beast all in its own. Uh, first do not send them a list of questions ahead of time to prepare. <laughs> Everybody asks me, will you send me a list of questions to prepare? I say, no, I won't do that. I'll give you some topics. I'll say, I'm going to ask you questions around these topics. But if you give somebody a list of questions, the chances are good that they are going to prepare canned answers to those questions. And you are going to end up with an episode that sounds a little bit like someone talking to an academic conference, mm-hmm. which that's fine if you were in an academic conference. Nobody wants to hear that in a podcast. Uh, so giving people a list of topics so that they don't feel like you're ambushing them is helpful, but don't give them a list of questions. Um, the second thing I'd ask you to keep in mind when you're interviewing people is um, think about your audience and why they would care. To the person you're interviewing, obviously they think whatever they're talking about is important and interesting. Otherwise, they wouldn't be talking about it. You as the host think it's important or interesting. Otherwise, you wouldn't have asked them to be on the show. But put yourself in the place of an audience member who may not be as naturally interested in that topic as you and say, why would I care about this? Sort of what's the hook or what's the angle? Uh, is there a story that I can tell? Is there some humor that I can inject into this? Um, just sort of start with the basis or start with the assumption that this isn't the most naturally interesting topic in the world um, to the audience and try to find an angle to make it more so. A good example of that might be, you know, you have a guest or two on to talk about what is IO psychology. Now to you and I, that's a really interesting topic. I'm sure we could talk about it for a long time, but think about that person you're trying to reach. Who's never heard of it before. Uh, what is it that might make them interested in it? Uh, a good story about a time that your guest was invited to consult with a client and they got there and they found out the client was doing this crazy stuff Uh, And here's what they had to do to get around that and help them realize like that is already pulling you into a story uh, of interest versus 
IO psychology is a scientific study of the, you know, <laughs> so th- think about it, but from the point of view of a board listener, um, and, and that's really all uh, I would offer. So I'm guessing that anybody listening to, to the show, uh, I hope that you got something from this as well. I want to thank Ali for his great questions and for being on the show. I can't wait to hear the show that you come up with, Ali. And I can't wait to hear more IO psych shows uh, from people who, who are listening to this and thinking about starting their own. Best advice I can give you is do it. I know I've hit you with a lot of information, but even if you can't do all this stuff, just get started and do it. Uh, and you'll learn and you'll build momentum. And we need to hear your voice. Thanks. Well, thank you. This was, you know, super informative. I'm really excited to get the podcast going. And thank you again.